0: please join me in prayer lord uh, right now we declare that christmas is really all about you and we hear that saying jesus is the reason for the season and we don't know if that statement lord is just a reaction to the tendency to be consumeristic or we really grasp why christmas is about you and not really about us But God, as we come before you, uh, we ask that you would speak to us, and in this uh, time of hearing, God, may we hear your voice loud and clear. Some of us may need to hear a different aspect of it, and God, in your wisdom, in your kindness and mercy, would you speak to us and give us exactly what we need to shift our focus back to you, to bring our hopes back to you, to bring a time where this is a depressing time for a lot of people to give us a joy back to you. And we, of course, remember, Lord God, in a country that's still ailing, that we anchor our hopes deeply, not in something that's off, but in someone that's real, someone that still is alive, and will come back to us again. So, Lord, to you we pray, all these things, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Today I'm going to be just, if you forget anything today is going to be going all over the place because when you cover isaiah it's just so heavy isaiah a few verses of isaiah we could go about 10 weeks on it so i'm going to be going here and there but if you walk away just remember two things we're going to focus on why jesus is the reason for the season why is this all about jesus other than really like us just saying you know it's not about santa it's not about gifts It's about jesus and we say all right but why I don't know, maybe, and today's message hopefully will nail this down that, wow, how Jesus is truly amazing. He's truly a wonder. But two, we also want to focus on this idea of promises, and that God is a God who keeps his promise. So we're going to talk about those two things. This is Christmas. Christmas is a time we celebrate Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago, and Advent is this promise that God has given us that this Jesus who lived Died, rose again, ascended into heaven, has made a promise to you and me that he will come back again. Now, I think Christians, we do, we have this tendency to defend God. What I mean by that is sometimes when bad things happen in the world, we feel like we need to defend God. You know, God is still good. God is a God who keeps his promises. And society gets angry. They say, you know, where's your God? Where was your God? What is God doing now? And we feel like we need to defend God. I wonder, if you're like me, sometimes we feel like we don't want to hook too much on God. Because what if God doesn't keep his promise? What if, what if this promise, I can't fully trust in God because what if it doesn't come true? He made everything else come true, but we feel this anxiety like we can't fully commit to the Lord. Because what if he kind of lets us down? And there's this anxiety that we want to bail God out. And I I hear that in blogs. By the way, this past week I was reading CNN, and I told you all the time, I don't like reading the articles. I enjoy more reading the responses. And you have to prepare yourself. You can't just read it. You really have to prepare yourself to read the responses. And there's a lot of God bashing. And I couldn't resist, so I jumped in and I typed something. And I said, if there was no God what are you going to tell these families? You know, I'll be here for you. You'll get over it. What do you tell them? And the response back was, well, you're not helping out by saying there's this fake God somewhere. Well, when the families are asking for prayer, what are we praying to? And we're just having this conversation. And I'm not trying to be mean to them, but we're just really trying to say, what is our hope based on? So the answer they gave was, I believe in humanity that we could solve this. And I said, we've had thousands of years as humans to figure this out. And we're not doing a good job of it. <laughs> and we realized the tendency for me was to defend God. And this anxiety that brewed up in me to say, God is still good. And the world was saying, I don't believe it. So I struggle with this. Am I trying to bail out God? Is it God? Oh, God who keeps his promises. Well, there's this funny story um, Whenever you say funny story, you should never say funny story when you're preaching because it makes people anticipate. So there's a story, a boring story, a dull story. Uh, In rural Tennessee, a vacuum salesman goes to a house and says, I've got the best vacuum in the world. See that corner, that pile of dirt? This vacuum will clean your whole house up and down. And if this vacuum can't clean that up, I'll eat that pile of dust myself. So the lady responds, well, you better get your fork and knife because we don't have electricity. (laughs) And and I love that. I love that because here is somebody who's making the promise. And guess what they're doing? They really believe in that promise. They really believe that their vacuum can do it. And it can. But what's the humor of that story? No matter how sincere we are about our promises, we can't control everything. Sometimes our promises fail, right? God's promises never fail. That's the difference between his promise and our promises. The God is a God who keeps his promise, whether it's good or bad. So we have, we're in Isaiah, and God makes promises in Isaiah to Israel all the time. He actually even keeps bad promises. He promised Israel if you disobey my word and you worship other gods, I promise you, as my heart aches, I will have to punish you. You will be in exile. And later on, we found out in 722 B.C., northern tribe of Israel, they fell to the nation of Empire of Assyria. The God kept his promise. Did he enjoy punishing them? No. Did he delight in seeing his people suffer? No, but he's a God who even keeps his hard promises. And 586, the southern tribe of Israel, they were in rebellion, and they were actually involved with their northern neighbors' fall. And Isaiah is saying to Judah, the southern tribe of Israel, if you guys don't get your act straight and come back to the Lord, you too will fall. And in 586 B.C., they fell to the Babylonians. All of God's promises came true. You see, one thing's for sure. God is a God who keeps his promises. But here's the good news. Thanks be to God, he promises great things for us as well as those who live in darkness. And this is a glimpse in Isaiah 9. That God is a God who keeps his promises. And he, in the midst of warning his people, is saying, let me give you something good. And that's why he starts, verse 1, Nevertheless, while you're in darkness, while Assyrians have triumphed, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, Zebulun and Naphtali, it's where the northern tribe of Israel fell. It's near northern, and they fell already. So Isaiah is saying, remember, God is telling us how they fell under destruction. They were humbled. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Now, originally, this verse was not in the the sermon. But then as you study the text, you realize, I realize something. You can't preach Isaiah 9, verse 2 to 7 without sharing verse 1. And we'll find out why in the end. It it gets better. So just hang on. (laughs) So God is giving us in this section a lot of promise. You are in darkness But I promise you, a hope is coming along the Sea of Galilee. So you're like, what does that mean? So we'll go on. And he shares a lot of of promises. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So in this midst of this conquering exile, there will be a hope that will rise. And that's his promise. Verse 3. God, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Promise number two, God is the one who's going to give us land. He will be the one that will restore and provide for us all that we need. That's what Isaiah is proclaiming. Verse four, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. What is the promise there? God is saying, your enemies who bondaged you, literally, your enemies who are oppressing you, God will break those chains. God is going to deliver you. That God is going to take this exile and free you eventually. Verse 5, I love this part. Every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. You're like, what does that mean? Well, what do you do when you come back from war? You take garments that you don't use anymore. You either, in our day, we would store it in a chest upstairs, right? In their day, when they come back from war, as a sign of war, war's done, it's over, we won. We have victory over our enemy. What they would do is they would literally take their garments of blood and they would burn it and destroy it. Well, what if war happens again? Well, that's the point. We've defeated The enemy so certainly we don't have use for this anymore and Isaiah is saying God's promise to us is that not only will we be freed but we will triumph great promises he goes on how will this come and verse six kind of throws a little wrench in this so you're kind of listening to this promise you're going to be freed God's going to enlarge your land the enemy will be defeated and you're like, yes, we need good news in this land. And then verse 6, just think about the process. He says, for to us, a child is born. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. God, I prefer the pillar of clouds. God, I, I prefer the chariots. When, remember when, when uh, your servant looked up and they saw angels and servants and warriors and that the enemy couldn't see? I prefer that. You're going to bring all these promises, and you're going into a child is born? Now, grandparents, mothers, dads, you know how to, what a joy that is to see a baby come, right? There's, there's hope, and there's a lot of joy in that. But when you're looking at a nation that's been collapsed, a baby's birth is a symbol of joy, but you don't say, yes, victory shall come. Poop you know this little baby this little baby that that's born and you're thinking how how does a baby change that right how does a baby change the destiny and bring this about he goes on for to us a child is born to us a son is given and this is isaiah's way of saying this not only is this baby born as a human but a son is given Meaning he's not created or born. He is somebody who's transferred from heaven, the only son of God, and he's given to us. This is a mysterious language for Isaiah and Israel. They're probably thinking, what does that mean? A baby is born and a son is given. That God has provided someone, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace... This promise of God is securely in this. Why is Jesus the reason for this season? It's not because we hate Santa Claus. On contrary, I've been been changing my opinion. St. Nicholas is actually a great man. And Santa Claus was rooted in St. Nicholas, who was a saint who gave presents to children. We should celebrate him. So in the early days, December 6th was St. Nicholas Day. And then Christmas was December 25th. Set by one of the em- emperors, and then they decided to merge it after the Reformation, because we don't we're Presbyterians, we don't worship saints, they try to merge it, but what do you do when you have such a great holiday of exchanging gifts? Who's going to complain the most? <laughs> Children, Dad, where's our present? And the Christian families of the Reformation said, "Oh my goodness, we can't totally get rid of Christmas, the St. Nicholas Day." We'll make it all in one so christmas became this hodgepodge of saint nicholas day where we give gifts and also celebrating the birth of jesus hence confusion <laughs> that's and the early a couple hundred years ago some smart capitalists said we can make money off this let's milk this bad boy and make it a cash cow so what the church did was they milked christmas and what should be the start of God's redemption plan, culminating in Easter, which should be the greatest event in history, Christmas is actually celebrated more because of the gift giving. It's a capitalist drive underneath it. That explains it. It doesn't justify it. But it is what it is. <laughs> but the point that back, I'm back going back is, why is Jesus the reason for this season? He's not just a nice baby that's born and we coo and ca, and we go, oh, baby, oh, baby Jesus. If you listen to the context of Isaiah, who is Jesus? He is the fulfillment of God's promise to liberate Israel from the greatest empire. And what does God's word do? It always has a two-fold plan. It wasn't just for Israel. Humanity, is in bondage to darkness. And if those of us are still in denial, just watch the news. We realize we live in a broken world. We are the people living in darkness. We're born into it. We can't escape it. That's why our promises, as sincere as it could be, can never be sustained. Only God can sustain all his promises. And that promise is that in this baby boy, a son that is given... That all the Gentiles, we have a reason to celebrate and say, God is good. God remembers us. God is coming for us. That's why we say Jesus is the reason for this season. So how is Jesus the fulfillment of his promise? Well, a couple of things I want to share is this. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We've had billions of people born and die in this world. Only one person met that criteria. I'm sure none of us in here were born by a mother who was a virgin. (laughs) I'm sure this world did never experience that kind of miracle. There was one that did. And Isaiah's prophecy strewn throughout is that God has promised to send his redeemer through a virgin girl. And when this baby is born, his name would be Emmanuel. And you all know what, the, you're smart people. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Not just a special baby, not a baby who grew to be a king and a warrior, but that baby is what? God. With us. The closest thing I liken to is, if you ever hang out with little children, adults, we like to say, oh, behave. Oh, those so cute. You know what's really cool, though? When the dad, grandparents, this is why I love grandparents, they dive in with the kids and they start playing with the kids. They become one of the children. And the children say, you're the coolest grandfather or grandmother because you're grandpa with us. You know that feeling? And just expand that to an infinite scale that God is not just looking at his children and saying, oh, I love you. But he dives in into our crazy, messy, dark world. Doesn't only play with us. He heals us. He guides us. He teaches us. But he dies for us. You know, this is Jesus. The four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How many of you have seen that in a Christmas card? Come on, we've all seen that, right? And If you break down these names, I'm just going to do a quick breakdown. What do these names mean? Well, the first one, wonderful counselor, is actually reversed. It should really be saying the counselor, the counseling wonder. Because wonderful is the noun. It's not an adjective. You know, a lot of us in America today and in our society, we use the word wonderful kind of like this flippant thing. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you see that fruitcake? Wonderful fruitcake. Oh, that was a wonderful service, or oh, oh, that's wonderful day, or you know, wonderful is just like we just throw it at everything. If you remember the cartoon smurfs, they used to use smurfin for everything. That's smurfin, smurfin. We use that for wonderful. But in Hebrew, wonderful is pele, which is wonder, the miracle. It's a noun. And the counseling means it's that's the verb. So it literally means this miracle that counsels us. That's Jesus. What is a counselor? You go see a marriage counselor to see an expert in marriage. You go see a, a doctor to see an expert in your body. Jesus is this counselor full of wisdom who guides us. He's also this eternal father. The baby is attributed to God. That means he is a deity. He's also the prince of peace, meaning he brings peace not just between the world, but to us and God. And lastly, he brings, he's the mighty God, this warrior. And I want to just share one last thing. Why is Jesus' promise? We go back to verse 1, and we'll end with this. This verse 1, when I first was studying this, I was thinking, this verse 1, yeah, it doesn't really fit. But I, wanna, I want us to just pay attention to this really phenomenal Nevertheless, verse 1 says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. And you're like, okay. You got to jump to Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, look what the Bible says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. This is after Jesus' temptation, and he's about to go to ministry. It says this. When Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he returned to Galilee. Verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Where's Capernaum? Good question, you ask. <laughs> Which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. He started his ministry in Capernaum, which is the place of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. Friends, what is the point of this? The reason for the season Is because God has given us the ultimate promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That in this prophecy in Isaiah that there will be a hope and he's going to come in Naphtali and Zebulun. And it will come along the Sea of Galilee along the Jordan. And Jesus starts his ministry where? In Galilee. To fulfill this promise that God has made. I want to share with us what does that mean in a three way. One, God is a God who keeps his promises. Can we say that together? God keeps his promises. You need to believe that this Christmas time. I don't know what's going on in your family. I don't know what's going on in your mind regarding this world. But we claim today by faith, because of Jesus Christ, we can say our God that we worship this morning is the very God. The only God that keeps all of his promises as he's done through Jesus and he's done through now. Second thing we want to do this Christmas, don't just adore Jesus. Don't just say this cute little Jesus. But what did the shepherds do when they saw Jesus born? They worshiped him. I want to encourage you, this Christmas, it's not just about the Christmas spirit. It's about the Savior that we are called to worship, that we bow down to, that we come before God today and say, Jesus, who am I that I should give you worship even? And in these things, we recognize that God is still moving today. And the last thing we want to do today is the word Pele. Would you do something magical? And it's a short thing. We lose this when we get older, don't we? Reclaim the wonder, as in Pele, wonderful counselor, the miracle of Christmas. This is not just a day that was set to buy stuff or even for a reunion. But if we could, as a church, reclaim this wonder of God, this unimaginable, mysterious thing that God came as both man and, man and, and God, we must reclaim this wonder, this miracle and awe to say, God, this Christmas is really a mysterious thing I don't understand. But I am in awe of you. This is God's promise to us. This is why Jesus is a reason for this season. Let's worship and let's bow our heads in prayer. So, Lord God, there's a lot going on in our world, there's a lot going on in our lives. And we're reminded this morning. You're a God who keeps his promises. You're a God who sent your only son to fulfill this promise to free all of us. And as we see heartache and as we see frustrations, we all the more wait and expectantly for the Savior who will return again. That our hope and worship lies in Jesus Christ. And on this Christmas season, we want to pause Take a deep breath, bow our knee, and say, Jesus, this is all for you. And Lord, as we give you this worship this morning, may you echo your glory throughout the world. And as we walk away from here, may we walk away with this wonder and hope that is anchored in Jesus Christ, especially in the midst of darkness, for your light shines and your light goes out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.